0: simply by reading the words of Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses one through five. It says, and Samuel said to all Israel, behold, I have obeyed your voice and all that you've said to me and have made a king over you. And now behold, the king walks before you and I am old and gray and behold, my sons are with you. I've walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me and I will restore it to you. Verse 4. They said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us. Or taken anything from any man's hand, and he said to them, "The Lord is witness against you, and His anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand." And they said, "He is witness." Our last words for today, in this series, all on different last words of different faithful men of God throughout history, as recorded in Scripture, come from Samuel, and by injecting ourselves into this scene. Samuel's farewell address, we find ourselves at a major crossroad in all of human history. This would be Samuel's final message as the appointed by God leader of Israel. He doesn't die the next week. He doesn't even die that day like Moses probably did. But this would be his last public address as the one appointed by God to lead Israel because... The day has come for Israel to be led by a king. So think about of all the things he could have said, this is how he begins. Not, I love you and I'm going to miss you all. Not, remember all the good times we had together? Let's talk about them, right? Not, my time has come to an end and I wish you all the best. Not even that. Instead, he says, I've done what you've asked. I fulfilled my duties before god and don't one of you accuse me of any wrongdoing because with god as my witness i have led you righteously i can just imagine right how the people must have felt he pulled them together for his final address and this is how he starts the image actually as i as i was reading this this week that came to my mind was the scene of Jesus' trial, right? Remember, they're calling for Jesus' blood, and they want him to be crucified, and Pilate is trying to resist, saying, this isn't right, this isn't just, and they said, we don't care, we want him crucified, and so what does Pilate do? He gives them what they want, and he washes his hands of it, right? Essentially saying, all right, this is now between you and God. It's essentially what samuel is doing here and it makes sense he's not happy he's not happy at where these people have been and he's not happy for where they are going which is really what he's going to do with the remainder of this farewell address but before we jump into that i want to i want to go back a little bit because i know you guys know the name samuel and maybe a few of you, you hear the name and you instantly do like the, the card catalog thing and like his whole bio comes up and you're just like, yeah, I, I'm here. I'm in this moment and I know exactly who this guy is, right? But if you're like me, you read Sammy, you're like, yeah, I know that name. And then you start to actually like think and you're like, oh, wait, yeah, this is kind of significant. Like this is a pretty fascinating guy. So I want to do a little background with you on Samuel. You guys know the story. You might have forgotten it. He was the son of Hannah and Elkanah, and I put Hannah's name first because she's the one that people know, right? This is the one who, when she and her husband, both godly men, they go up to Shiloh where the Ark of the Lord is, and they're giving their annual sacrifice, and while she's there, she's praying to her, not to herself, she's praying silently, moving her lips, and the priest at the time, Eli, sees her lips moving and thinks that she's drunk or thinks something inappropriate's going on, and he calls her out, and she says, no, I'm just praying that God would bless us with a son. She wasn't able to have a child, and Eli prophesies, you will, you'll have this son, and as a only God could do miraculously, he opens Hannah's womb and, uh, and gives her, them uh, their child, who they named Samuel. Samuel means "heard of God. And Hannah, she said, she said, God, if you would give me this son, in chapter one, verse 11, she says, I will give him to you all the days of his life. She's a woman of her word. He's born, she weans him, she gets him to a point where she can give him off. She takes him back up. To Eli, she gives him to Eli and says he's going to serve God the rest of his life, and that's exactly what he did. It's a significant time, obviously, in Hannah's life. Samuel doesn't know it yet. It's a significant time in his life, serving the Lord, set aside forever by his family. But it's also a significant time in Israel's history. In chapter 3, verse 1, it says, And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. It was rare because the people had become so rebellious against God. So here's Samuel, young child serving in the, probably what is it, a tent, a tabernacle where God's ark was dwelling and he begins to grow up in this. And as a young man, we find later in chapter three, Samuel's the one who he's sleeping at night and all of a sudden he hears a voice, Samuel, Samuel. So he gets up, he goes to Eli. Eli, do you call me? No. Oh. Goes back to bed. Samuel. Samuel. Gets up again. Nope. Goes back. Hears his name again. Goes back to Eli and Eli says, this is God. Next time he calls your name, say, here I am, what do you have for me? Your servant is listening. So God says his name again. And in that moment, God gives him what is essentially his ministry and his calling for the rest of his life to be the judge of the nation of Israel. Judging, not kindly necessarily, but judging the nation because of all of its sin. And this farewell address comes at the conclusion, years later at the conclusion of his ministry and at this major crossroad for the nation of Israel. The time of the priestly rule has passed. The time of the judges is coming to a close and now they're about ready to move into what we might call the time of the kings. If you go back to chapter 12 and Samuel's <clears throat> farewell address where we left it off in verse 6 through 13. Essentially what we find is we find Samuel retelling this entire history. He mentions in verse 6, he mentions Moses and Aaron, and he talks about them being called of God. And and in verse 8, he tells how this nation cried out to God, and God gave them Moses. But then in verse 9 it says but they forgot their the Lord their God. Verse 10 they cried out again. They forgot God. They ran away. They found themselves in total misery and what do they do again verse 10? They cried out again. So what does God do verse 11? He gives them these judges. All of them, judges of his that we could read about in the book of Judges. Every time one comes, everything gets restored. They bring about reconciliation of fellowship between the nation of Israel and God. And then once they pass off the scene, the people go right back into rebellion. This vicious cycle that happens over and over and over again. Concluding at the end of Judges 21-25 with this famous saying, Right, famous verse. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Once again, they forgot about the Lord. So, what did Israel do then? Before, when they had ran from God, he rescued them. They ran off again. They cry out to him. He rescues them once again. They run away from him once again. What do we find in verse 12? They don't cry out to God. Instead, they say, we need a king. We need a king like our neighbors. Not, God forgive us or God help us. No, essentially they're saying, God, you're the problem. If only we had a king like our neighbors, then everything would be better. Verse 13, Samuel twice and now behold the king whom you have chosen for whom you have asked behold the lord has set a king over you right samuel's drawing their attention to this with these two behold saying look i don't want you to miss this you are getting exactly what you wanted god is in essence giving them the desires of their hearts In fact, listen to how God says it when this issue first came up back in chapter 8. 1 Samuel 8 verse 7, God responds to Samuel as these people are crying out for a king and he says, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me. So what does God do? He gives them their king. And then verses 14 and 15, we come to what is ultimately the heart of Samuel's Farewell address, which is God ultimately telling them how this is going to work. I've given you your king. Now this is how it's going to work. Read it with me. I want you to read this entire thing. Verse 14. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord but rebel against the commandment of the Lord then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king this is covenant language right here which is really just a fancy way of saying there is some sort of an agreement that is being made here some sort of promise this one's a conditional promise if you do this then this will happen right some promises Are unconditional. Some covenants we remember as being really significant moments in the history of God's redemptive plan. He talks to Abraham, right? What does he say? I've chosen you, Abraham, and I'll make your offspring more numerous than the stars, period. No if, no then. It's unconditional. Another to David, your throne shall be established forever, period. No if, no conditions, right? I will do this for you no matter what. When you get married, right, if you think about promises you make to somebody, you get married, and you make an unconditional promise to them, right? You commit to loving them unconditionally for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness, and in health. Doesn't matter what happens. You're committing to your spouse for as long as you both are alive, right? You don't Get up there on the altar and say, I commit to love you if, you know, when I do premarital counseling, I, I tell them, I say, in fact, it's usually in the, the message that I give in, a, in a, a wedding ceremony. I say, you don't love your wife because she's lovable. You love her because God is worthy and he's called you to this and you're committing before him. This is an unconditional commitment. An unconditional covenant that is being, na- being made. But right here, that's not what we have. We have a conditional promise. Which isn't to say that conditional promises are bad in any way. In fact, they're much more common. There's only a few unconditional in the Bible. The rest are conditional. They have some sort of terms to their agreement. Like this one. So what are the terms, right, verse 14 and 15? Samuel just gave them to us. If Israel... You fear the Lord, serve Him, obey His voice, don't rebel against His commandments, and follow the Lord your God. If you do that, then it will be well. But if not, it's not going to be well. God is going to hand you over to your enemies, and He will be against you, and He will be against your King. But if you look at this, right, essentially what Samuel is doing is he is walking them through this next season in the history of their nation, a sad moment in their history, really, because they have rejected God. He's laying out for them this conditional agreement. And it's pretty simple, right? Not too complex, not the super long lists of do's and don'ts, five things. Which let me pause and make this point. God has never been about some sort of super complex, impossible to achieve relationship. He wants his people to fear him as the God of the universe. And he wants them to serve him, obey him, and follow him. That's it. It's not complex. Started in the Garden of Eden in Genesis. And it's continuing through this rebellious country, still God once again saying, you're my people. I want a relationship with you. Me as your God, you as my people. That's how God has always done it, right? It's simple, it's not necessarily easy, but it's not complex either. It was true then, it's still true today. Now, if verse 14 and 15 was Samuel's, Kind of the heart of this farewell address. Verses 16 through 18 would be kind of that dramatic closing or the exclamation point on the end of everything that he's just said. Verse 16, now therefore stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not weed harvest today? I'll call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. And so that's what he does, right? As they're standing there, this huge thunderstorm blows in, right? And and, and what we see is exactly what he said, the thunder and the rain before their eyes, which um, no pun intended would have totally blown them away. Right, but it wouldn't have just blown them away. It would have terrified them and it would have hurt them because this is, what does he say? This is wheat harvest day. When I first uh, read this, I thought, well, maybe that's, maybe that's a good thing, right? Like you want rain? You want rain for your harvest or for your, for your crops, right? But, but I can't help but see that he says, see what God is gonna do because your wickedness is great. I did a little digging and I came across Proverbs 26, 1. Like snow in summer or rain in harvest. So honor is not fitting for a fool. What he's saying, right? Snow's bad in summer. Honor doesn't work with a fool. Rain does not work at harvest time. Right? This, is a, this is a bad thing that's happening. Obviously, it's the hand of God, but it's also painful to them. And it's going to hurt destroying all of their harvest. And the people's response is so perfectly appropriate. Verse 18, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel, right? They feared God and they feared his messenger. And verse 19, what do they say? They say, pray for us, pray for us. We don't wanna die. Right, which is, like I said, perfectly appropriate because you see God's hand on display And when others throughout history have seen this, what do they do? They fall on their face, terrified. This is what they do. Samuel, pray for us. We've seen God's hand and we're afraid he's gonna wipe us away, which he would have totally been justified doing, right? Saying enough with you. My patience has run out after nearly 500 years of putting up with you people. But he doesn't say that, he doesn't do that. Instead, what do we find in verse 20? Do not be afraid, you have done all this evil yet. In other words, there's hope. God is going to offer you grace and mercy. Right, you're not wrong to be terrified, Samuel says, but God is giving you another chance. It's powerful. After everything we've just considered, God just acknowledged him. Acknowledged a few chapters prior that they have rejected him, doing this thing that he didn't want to do. Said, "I'm supposed to be their king, but they want a human king. I'll give them the human king, right? And not only am I going to give them the human king, but I'm going to set up a system that will allow them to have relationship with me." Why? Verse 22: For the Lord will not forsake His people. It's not because of them. They forsook him, right? Time and time and time again. But God will not forsake his people. Why not? Because it is for his great name's sake. Because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Samuel's saying, He chose you for his glory. And he's going to keep you for his glory. Not because you're so great, but because he is. And this is going to show to the world how gracious and merciful he is, and what a promise-keeping God you serve. So, the concluding couple of verses, Samuel comes back to essentially what he said in verse 14 and 15. Essentially, so, don't blow it. So what now? This is Samuel's final public address. These are, in essence, his last words. He says a few things privately. He actually comes back from the dead and says one final thing, which we'll see here in a second. But this is powerful. I hope this is powerful for you. But how do we, how do we think through something like this, right? Well, let me try to sum up Samuel's entire, almost this entire last chapter in one phrase. You have sinned, but God is gracious and has made a way now just follow him. Anytime I'm reading scripture on my own and I come across a text like this, I'm, I'm asking myself, uh, how can I break down this huge chunk of scripture in a way that I can remember and walk away with this in some way? Right, and that's what, that's what essentially this simple phrase is. This is all of Samuel's last words boiled down into a single phrase. And for us to hear these last words to know the context of the story that Samuel was speaking into, we'd be fools not to consider our own story. You see, Jesus has called us, each and every one of us, to a calling that is not so different than this right here. For example, Matthew 4, 17, repent, right? What do you repent from? You repent from your sins, from your selfish, rebellious life, What does Jesus say? Repent. John 10, 27, my sheep. He's talking about those believers. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. You've sinned. But God is gracious and has made a way. Now just follow him, right? Those were Samuel's words. Those were Jesus' words. That's basically the entire New Testament as well. So this this is a message that I think should ring really clearly in our own heads. Now, unfortunately, for Samuel and for the people, his words were prophetic. The people rebelled against God, and they did so in the exact way that Samuel warned them against. Watch just as we recount a few of Saul's failures and how much they align with exactly what uh, what God set for this condition, right? What does he say? Fear the Lord, serve him, obey his voice, don't rebel against him, follow him. Now see how it describes Saul's failures. Few cha- actually, the next chapter. And Samuel said to Saul, right, he's already screwed up, one chapter later. You've done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God. Right? Keep going. This is like the entire life story of Saul, the first king. 1 Samuel 15, and the Lord sent you on a mission. This is Samuel talking to him privately and said, go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Just like Samuel told them. One more, 1 Samuel 28. This is Samuel from the grave. Saul is terrified and so he, it's crazy, but he speaks to Samuel. Samuel. And Samuel says, the Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord. We come across passages like these, and we come across texts like in chapter 12, right? And then you see how it all played out. I want you guys to have a word pop into your head, right, in big, bold Red letters, beware. Beware of the same sorts of things getting in the way of your relationship with God. What got in the way for Saul? What got in the way for Israel? I've listed a few. One, self-centeredness. They wanted to be uh, what they wanted to be, right? Instead of what God wanted them to be. Worldliness, they wanted to be like the countries around them like the people around them rather than the set apart people that God wanted them to be. Idolatry, fixing their eyes and their hearts on things that they could see rather than on the God in heaven who is unseen and faithlessness, trying to manipulate. Saul was especially good at this one. Trying to manipulate and force things rather than just trusting God to work out his plan in his timing. They didn't trust him. They were self-centered, they were worldly, they were idolatrous, and they were faithless. So I close and I ask, what about us? The call to trust and obey is the same for us today as it was for them back then. Samuel lived a life faithful to his calling all the way to the end. Will you? Or will you fall prey to self-centeredness, worldliness? idolatry, faithlessness. The good news of God's grace and the good news of relationship with him that is available to all, right, Uh, is good only if you accept it. It's not gonna do you any good if you don't accept it. So see how good God has been all the way down through history. right? Maybe you accepted it one day when you said I gave my life to Christ, but now you're living all for yourself That's what I mean when I say the good news changes your life at salvation and then all through your life as well. See how good God has been all the way throughout history. Learn from the past. Hear the call of God ringing loud and clear through the mouth of Jesus, through the pen of his apostles, maybe your parents, maybe your friends. Listen. Hear the call of God and follow him. Let's pray. Let's break into groups. Father, we thank you for your word that is so rich that we can come across something as immense as this. And maybe for some have never read it. For others can't remember when they've read it. For others, maybe they didn't even know it was in here. And yet it is because your word is, is, is rich. God is filled with truth about you about your holiness, about your perfection, but also about your grace and your mercy and your loving kindness towards us. Father, I pray that this is not just a message for a people 3,000 years ago, but I pray that this is a message that we recognize you have been proclaiming throughout all of history and that we learn from the mistakes of others and follow you with our lives, rejecting the things of this world, looking towards our heavenly home and our heavenly calling. So God, please help us to be faithful. Please help us now as we break into groups to discuss this, that this isn't a nice message that's going to be forgotten in about five minutes, but I pray that your spirit works, that you've been working. We know you have, that you'll continue to work in these groups. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you've got cards. Go to your spots. We're going to go for about ten minutes, then we're going to close at five after in a song.